And turn with me in your Bibles to Judges chapter 13, verse 24. We're continuing through the Samson story. And if you remember last week, what we were talking about with Samson is, um, I think he gets a bad reputation. <laughs> that in the New Testament, he is honored as a man of faith. He's, he's human, of course, like us. He, he is flawed. But the way the story is told is, is to give us a picture of how God loves his people. And so today we're going to look at Samson's wedding feast that goes wrong. And so let's read our passage and pray. Judges chapter 13, verse 24, and we're going to read all of 14. This is the word of our God. It says, And the woman bore a son and called his name Samson, and the young man grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtaol. And Samson went down to Timnah, and at Timnah he saw one of the daughters of the Philistines, and then he came up and told his father and mother, I saw one of the daughters of the Philistines at Timnah. Now get her for me as my wife. But his father and mother said to him, Is there not a woman among the daughters of your relatives or among all our people that you must go to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me, for she is right in my eyes. His father and mother did not know that it was from the Lord, for he was seeking an opportunity against the Philistines, and at the time the Philistines ruled over Israel. Then Samson went down with his father and mother to Timnah, and they came to the vineyards of Timnah, and behold, a young lion came toward him roaring. Then the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and although he had nothing in his hand, he tore the lion in pieces as one tears a young goat. But he did not tell his father or his mother what he had done. Then he went down and talked with the woman, and she was right in Samson's eyes. After some days, he returned to take her. And he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion, and behold, there was a swarm of bees in the body of the lion and honey. He scraped it out into his hands and went on eating as he went. And as he came to his father and mother, he gave them some to them, and they ate. But he did not tell them that he had scraped the honey from the carcass of the lion. His father went down to the woman, and Samson prepared a feast there, so, for so the young men used to do. And as soon as the people saw him, they brought thirty companions to be with him. And Samson said to them, Let me now put a riddle to you. If you can tell me what it is within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen garments and thirty changes of clothes. But if you cannot tell me what it is, then you shall give me 30 linen garments and 30 changes of clothes. And they said to him, Put your riddle that we may hear it. And he said to them, Out of the eater came something to eat, out of the strong came something sweet. And in three days they could not solve the riddle. On the fourth day they said to Samson's wife, Entice your husband to tell us what the riddle is, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us here to impoverish us? 
And Samson's wife wept over him and said, You only hate me. You do not love me. You have put a riddle to my people, and you have not told me what it is. And he said to her, Behold, I have not told my father nor my mother. Shall I tell you? She wept before him the seven days that their feast lasted, and on the seventh day he told her because she pressed him hard. Then she told the riddle to her people. And the many men of the city said to him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and struck down thirty men of the town and took their spoil and gave the garments to those who had told the, he who told the riddle. In hot anger, he went back to his father's house. And Samson's wife was given to his companion, who had been his best man. And this is God's word. It is true and trustworthy and revealed in love. Let's pray. Our Father and God in heaven, we ask that you would, well, open our eyes to see wondrous things, even here in Samson's story in your word, uh, to see what is stronger than a lion and sweeter than honey, that you, it, it is your steadfast love for us in Christ Jesus. So I pray as you show us your grace that that would change us, that we would see how to follow Jesus, who loves us, the unlovely, in order to make us a, a holy bride, one without blemish. And so, Holy Spirit, come and do your work among us today as we see how you relate to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I would say that dating has changed a bit since Samson's day. <laughs> Most of us didn't go to our parents and say, I found the one, get her for me. Nor, when you're in a small town, do we walk, you know, you run out of options, do we walk to a neighboring town to, to find, a, find someone else? We have apps for that now. You don't have to leave your house. You can sit on your couch. Right? And it's, it's interesting how things like Tinder and Bumble and Match, and, and if you're uh, afraid of these things, you can go to Christian Mingle. <laughs> um, I don't know why they're sending them to me and our joint married Facebook account, but whatever. <laughs> Facebook's thing is flawed. But the idea is you can find a spouse, the one who is right in your eyes, and you can just look at the app, you can look at the picture, you can look at the profile. Some of these things will match you up, but you just go and swipe and swipe and swipe until you find somebody who is right in your eyes. And that's interestingly, is exactly what Samson says about this Philistine woman. Much to the frustration of his parents, they think he has chosen poorly. And so this morning we got to ask, uh, why in the world is Samson, an Israelite who is devoted to the Lord, who is praised for being a great man of faith in Hebrews, choosing a bride outside of his people, outside of the family of faith, seemingly? That's what it looks like, right? Why choose a bride from the Philistines? Because that's one of the most basic commands when it comes to married relationships in the scriptures. Uh, mixed marriages are not okay when it comes to faith. Marry in the Lord. Uh, you need a husband and a wife who, who both love Jesus. Right? 
That the biblical wisdom is don't marry outside the faith. Oh, there is no such thing as a missionary marriage because it's, it's, it's biblical wisdom. It'll go better for you if you follow God's plan for you. <laughs> and yet, in our text, it seems like Samson's ignoring all that. I mean, in the, in the Old Testament, there were very clear lines of saying don't marry, and it listed the specific tribes, the Moabites, the Amorites, the, all these ites that have harassed Israel thus far in our story. And so we have to, we have to piece this together. We're, this is going to take some work because it is a foreign story. This is one of the most least preached parts of the Bible. I don't know how many Samson sermons you've heard, much less the, the last half of, <laughs> the last part of the summer when we get to chapters 17 to 21. But we've got to ask, why is Samson doing that? And it's going to help us see how God loves us. Because I, if I had to guess, if you've grown up in the church and know anything about Samson, if we were guests at the wedding and the pastor said, does anyone have any objection to this marriage, we probably all would raise our hand. Even though it says that this, this marriage was from the Lord. So, remember, this, put it into context, we are looking at this, uh, that Samson is the most Jesus-like judge in the book. That from birth to his death, Samson is to be a Nazarite devoted to faithful service to the Lord. In order to begin to save Israel from the Philistines, he is the most spirit-filled judge. So you want to know the, the most spiritual person in the book of Judges that rescues? It's Samson, four times. Hebrews says he's a, a man of whom the world is not worthy. He's part of the cloud of witnesses pointing to Jesus. Um, and yet, we have this problem, so we've got to jump in. But you can see, <laughs> right, if you're, if you're jumping into this and you're thinking about a Nazarite vow that Samson isn't to touch dead bodies, he's not to drink beer, and he's to be devoted to the Lord, he's not to cut his hair, it, just, it seems like here in this chapter he's around booze, he's around the wrong kind of women, and he's around bodies. So we've we got to work this stuff out. So, the point of all this, and this is to draw you in, when we're all done, you're going to see more clearly how God's covenantal love works, how God loves his people, how God pursues his people. Because even though it seems like Samson is an Israelite Tarzan, I think that's part of the, 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 way, the storytelling to draw you in, to see it, see it differently. So, let's look at this. Why a Philistine, Philistine bride? And I started in 1324 on purpose because it says Samson is born, he grows up, he is a man that the Lord has blessed. Uh, the only other phrase that, 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 that kind of phrase is used to describe is one of Jesus, and it says the Holy Spirit is upon him. It starts to stir him in, Manah, in Mahanadan and Zorah and Eshtael, the, the, the place where he lives. And so you've got to ask, what is the Holy Spirit showing Samson? What is he bothering Samson with? And it, it, basically what, what it seems like is that Samson is looking around in his community. He's looking around at the people of Israel. Zorah and Eshtal are right on the border of the promised land where, where Dan was supposed to be. And he's bothered by the lack of faith. Right? He's disturbed by it. Because... If you read later in the book of Judges, Zorah and Eshtal are the place where uh, the Danites plot all kinds of horrific violence and set up their own religion. Right. 
Seems like Samson is troubled by the unbelief of the Israelites, and he goes down into the Philistine territory. And the Spirit, this is what the Spirit does when he comes on a judge. A judge's job is to speak. It's trying to wake Israel up, to say there is right and wrong. God loves you. And so the Spirit stirring Samson is equipping him to be a judge, to see right and wrong, to be bothered by the things that bother God. That's what it means to be a judge. And what Samson seems to be seeing here, be bothered by, to be stirred, to be troubled, is the unbelief uh, that he is surrounded by people who do not care about the Lord that he is devoted to. He's a minority. It's, It's very much like us here in a secular age. He is surrounded by people who don't know Jesus, and therefore they live differently, and there are things that disturb us, that bother us. And then you read of Samson going down to Timnah and he sees this beautiful Philistine daughter. And look at how, this is where I want to convince you, look at how he goes about the marriage because he's often branded as this uh, just muscle-bound, lust-fueled lunkhead, for lack of better terms, right? He's just just, an immature man of faith. And he isn't just driven by his desires. He actually goes back and talks to his parents. Right? If this were a modern relationship, no parents would be involved at all. They would, have already, they would have already hooked up. No, he went back to his parents. He asked them to set up the marriage to get this unnamed, beautiful woman. And to be clear, there is no command against marrying a Philistine in the scriptures. Right? If you go through the, the list of tribes where God says, don't marry the people in the promised land, the Philistines arrived in the promised land about the same time as the Israelites. They weren't there for 400 years storing up the judgment that God had reserved for the people in Canaan. They weren't there committing child sacrifice. They weren't there for 400 years um, doing all kinds of horrific, cruel, violent things. So the Philistines are not on that list. And So what I want to convince you is that Samson's not sinning per se just because she's a Philistine. She could be a Philistine who's part of the community of faith. So, Samson's not sinning. The real question is, okay, in his dating process and his courtship, has, do they have anything in common when it comes to Yahweh? And uh, that's the question, really, that, that his parents want to know, is why in the world would you marry a Philistine? Is there not a woman among your relatives or among all our people that you have to take a wife from the uncircumcised Philistines? Well, what's the answer to that question? There's none. Why do you think Samson's so bothered that the Spirit is stirring him? Right, as we talked about last time, when you read the Samson narrative, nobody's crying out to the Lord. And in fact, the only people in the, the narrative that are Israelites, they're actually aligned with the Philistines. And so this is a condemnation of God's people. That there is nobody faithfully following the Lord that Samson can find to marry. And he's down in Timnah, in the promised land. <laughs> and he talks to her. Right. And so that, that's the interesting thing. It says in verse 7, he goes down and talks with the woman. It says she was right in his eyes. And it sounds like it was some kind of typical dating conversation. I don't know where they, what Philistine restaurant they sat at to eat and talk. Maybe he saw her and she had an ESV Bible. And he says, now there's a Presbyterian woman I should marry. I don't know what. <laughs> we, we don't really have any details other than she was right in his eyes 
And we have the clue in verse 25 that the Spirit is shaping his eyes. And so the condemnation is really sad that his parents are saying, why don't you find someone who's part of the circumcision, who's on the inside? And the condemnation is the guilty part for Israel is just because you are part of the family of Israel doesn't mean you're actually committed by faith. It doesn't mean your heart has changed. It's, It's just like here. You can be a part of the church. You can know all the right things to say, but just because you've you're around, it doesn't necessarily mean you've actually committed by faith to Jesus. It doesn't mean you have a new heart, just by outward deeds. And so everyone around Samson, they're not worthy. He goes down and he finds this unnamed Philistine woman who seemingly is led led by the Spirit to, uh, to marry. She is upright in Samson's eyes. She's more than good looks. And so you keep moving down the story here. Samson, on his way to the date uh, to go talk to her, uh, he, he gets attacked by a lion, and this is another sign of, of Samson's virtue, I think. Right? After the lion incident, he, he's talking with her. <laughs> oh, I'm jumping ahead in my notes here. Let me try it. Go back again. Uh, Samson gets attacked by this lion, and... Uh, <coughs> <coughs> All right, my brain is overly caffeinated. I'm going to try that whole sentence again. I've been thinking about this all week, (laughs) ready to just dump this on you, and I need to slow down. This is what happens when you plan too far ahead. All right, so the other thing you see is Samson is led by the Spirit, and then you get to verse 4. This marriage is from the Lord. All right. So Samson is excited to meet this woman. He's sent by the Spirit down, and then the bookend to this marriage, it says, it's from the Lord. Because he's looking for an opportunity against the Philistines. And so I'm not, I don't think Samson necessarily is committed spiritually, spiritual adultery by marrying someone he shouldn't. Um, this, is, uh, this is the way God is going to start rescuing Israel from the Philistines. Now, here's what we're going to learn as you look at the bigger context of the book. Um, why would Samson? Why would Samson pick a bride that looks like she's unworthy? Right? Because the bigger context of the book, if you go to Judges chapter two, God says the Lord raises up the judge. The Lord is with the judge. But then no one listened to the judge, but the people are whoring after other gods. And whenever the Lord raises them up, the Lord is with them. And the idea is that the Lord is, is taking on human instruments to chase after his people. And, and the language there that is used is one of marriage. It's one of marriage. That the, the biblical God wants to relate to Israel like a husband relates to his wife like a bride, like a groom relates to the bride. And the condemnation of judges is that everyone in Israel is running away. They're unfaithful. That everyone in Israel is acting like uncircumcised Philistines. Which is really helpful when you see about Samson's choice of a bride. 
Because if no one inside Israel is circumcised of heart, he has to go pick a wife who seems unworthy on the outside. It's, it's teaching Israel, look at what you're like, and yet the Lord still loves you. I mean, if we, this is really helpful because if you mock Samson for choosing poorly, what does that say about Yahweh who is with the judge, who has sent the judge to marry this woman, who chose Israel for a bride? who is unfaithful. Israel who isn't changing. Israel who has been loved with a jealous love and they're not responding. You see, this is, this is what helps me understand the Samson story is to take that story and the, the introduction to Judges that says, here's what you should expect. God is a faithful lover and he is going to have his heart broken by every generation. And he's going to raise up a judge to, to deliver them, and they're going to respond less and less. They're going to become more estranged, culminating with the Samson story, where nobody responds. And so Samson goes outside of Israel to marry a Philistine. So that's why. It's to picture for Israel, this is how God loves you, and you need to respond. Samson's marriage is God's plan to rescue Israel from being like the Philistines to make them holy. And he goes and takes a Philistine bride to make her holy. It's a lot of really cool patterns. Now, I'm, I can get back to the lion here as we talk about the riddle. I got, I got way too excited there. <laughs> All right, so why the Philistine bride? Because God told him to. He's led by the Father and Spirit. And he kept come to the wedding... Samson's off to meet his beloved. He's ambushed by this lion in the vineyards. And this is in the promised land. I want you to, to picture this. This is in the land of milk and honey in Philistine territory. And this is the stuff that Samson is known for where he just rips apart the lion with his bare hands like one tears a young goat. I mean, I don't know who does that with their bare hands in their free time, but <laughs> you know, to each their own, I suppose. You know, it's just saying he's strong enough to take a lion whose bite pressure is about 600, 600 pounds and just pff, rip it in half. Right. That's spirit-given power that comes upon an ordinary man. And so don't picture Samson as this buff, overly bulk, Arnold Schwarzenegger type guy. He's just a scrawny, Ordinary Israelite that the Spirit gives him supernatural strength and nobody can see why he's so strong. It's the mystery. And when it comes to the lion, there is no one like Samson. Who, who, there's only one other person in the Bible like Samson. So someone to kill a lion is uh, to kill a lion by faith with the Spirit's help. Only David is the, David is the only person in the Bible to do that. Samson is in elite company. And think about, Sam, uh, think about David's story. David didn't look like much. He looked like uh, just a, a scrawny kid who has in way over his head. And you know the story when David faces down Goliath. His brother thinks he's a pansy. He's just trying to show off. His family thinks he's nuts. Saul says, you're too small. There's no way you can do this. Right? And yet David, a man after God's own heart, says, here's, here's his speech to Saul. Saul says to him, you're not able to fight. You're just a youth. Right? You're just a young kid. But David says to Saul, well, I used to keep sheep for my father. And when there was a lion or a bear that came and took a lamb from my flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of its mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by the beard and I struck him and killed him. 
Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. And it's putting Samson and David as this like WWF type tag team, right? They're going to take down God's enemies. Samson and David are the spirit-filled lion slayers. See them as champions. Continue on down the story. He goes back later and finds honey in the, in the lion. And this is an important clue that honey is, is a gift. Honey is a, is a sign of God's blessing. I mean, just picture, remember how the promised land is described. It's the land flowing with milk and honey. And whenever somebody finds honey in the Old Testament, it's like a, a surprise from heaven. Thank you, God, for something sweet. In our over-sugared culture, we, don't, we just take it for granted because we can get honey whenever we want. In the wild, it's a gift. It was seen as a blessing from God. It's not just a random detail. It's showing you that with God on your side, you can defend yourself from lions, and he will bless you and take care of you and even give you honey and something sweet. That's the kind of God God is. That's, Samson is modeling that. If you come down in the promised land, God will protect you from all your enemies, even the lions. So if you see the picture, Israel, if you would trust the Lord, if you would obey his commands, if you would come into the promised land, if you would take what God had given you, God is strong enough to protect you and he will give you the sweetness of the land and all of Israel doesn't listen. But Samson gets to model that for them. It's calling you and I to see God in that way. Do you see God as a gift like, like honey in a desert? Sweetness in a time of suffering? Sweetness in a time of unbelief? Do you see obedience as something sweet? And I, one of my trips in Madagascar, we got to go out into the wilderness to one of the non-touristy areas and we paddled for like three days down a crocodile-infested river and we just camped on the side and it was like the desert. It was just stupid hot. And one of, the, one of the unexpected surprises was somebody in a local village that came and they saw us, saw us land and she came with fresh honeycomb straight from the hive, just dripping. And when you're exhausted, when you're tired, and when it's hot, it's amazing how much that just gets your mouth watering. We were just going to eat vegetables with no seasoning. Uh, to have honey is a sign of God's blessing. And we're called us to see God that way, that he is stronger than a lion and sweeter than honey. That's, that's how the Psalms would go on to describe it, right? That, that your word, O oh Lord, is sweeter than honey. So this sets up the riddle. Israel's not obeying, but Samson is, and he's experiencing God's protection and his love and his sweetness. And it sets up the riddle where Samson is the host of the feast, and the Philistine provide 30 companions, right? The Philistines will come out and party for any reason. As long as there's beer, they worship Dagon, the god of beer and grain. That's what we said before. And archaeologists are pr pretty much, if they don't know what the container is, it's probably some kind of alcohol container, uh, which makes Samson stand out even more, who doesn't drink. <laughs> right? And so I doesn't say anywhere that Samson broke his vow. He's just being a good host. He provides alcohol for the wedding. And, <laughs> and so if you're worried about Samson and his commitment, I mean, just imagine going to a family wedding where your crazy cousin Eddie likes to get sauced at a party 
and you just say, well, I'm not going to. Right? These things happen. If he had drank alcohol, you know what would have happened? He would have lost his strength. I mean, the moment someone else cut his hair, which was part of his vow, his strength was gone, just like that. Right? So he must not have broken his vow at the wedding. Right? But here's the riddle. I mean, the Philistines, it seems like an odd bet, but they must have assumed that if Samson could get a little bit of alcohol in the system, the liquor would loosen his lips, and he, they would just be able to take this, this Jewish, non-Philistine guy for a ride and make him poor. They thought it was an easy, he was an easy mark. Except he was a Nazarite, they didn't know. <laughs> and so here's the riddle and the stakes. If, if Samson is able to hold them off and they don't guess the answer to the riddle, they're going to be 30 linen garments. These were like expensive family heirlooms. It was like an inheritance. And so it was, so, I mean, it was significant enough that if, well, they were mad, they're ready to kill a whole family because they, th- they were going to be made poor. I mean, these linen garments were valuable. That's the point. And so for Samson, it's a great strategy. Why go to war with the Philistines when you can just loot them through a bet? Right? Get them drunk, let them lose. And so here's the riddle. Out of the eater came something to eat, and out of the strong came something sweet. And we as the reader know what it is. It's honey from the lion, but they have no clue. You've got to see, David, <laughs> Samson is a wordsmith. He's a poet and a warrior. And we don't see it as much, but just think about it this way. If you're at a wedding, there's, there's lots of good food, there's lots of booze, what formerly edible things come out of a human eater when you've drank too much? Or what kind of strong things that were sweet now come out? It's kind of gross. If Samson's leading them, to, it's vomit, right? If it's regret. <laughs> he's leading them, he's mocking them, he's mocking their choice. He's, it's a puke joke, even though he's talking about God's blessing. <laughs> Samson's using the whole lion incident to mock their unbelief those who worship the God of beer. The Lord gives honey from a lion. He protects me. Out of the eater comes something to eat. Gross. Except the Philistines, they probably guess that. But they get mad. They, they, they aren't winning the bet, and so they can't convince Samson to give up the answer, and so they go after his wife, and they threaten to kill her and her family which is supposed to be a, a, a wake-up call to Israel. To, you love the Philistines, but why? Look how violent and cruel they are. It's a tyrannical relationship. This is abuse. It's not healthy. And of course, for seven days, she just nags and nags and weeps. She presses him hard. Right? If you really loved me, you would tell me what, what the riddle is. It's not too hard to imagine how that would work. I mean, what's supposed to be a time of joy for Samson is just annoying. Right? He's, he gets worn down until finally he caves, and the wife betrays him, tells her people to protect herself and her family. And the way the Philistines respond to Samson's joke is with a cruel joke of their own. Could you look at it in verse, verse 18? On the last day, they say, What is sweeter than honey? What is stronger than a lion? So just Picture this, this is your wedding day. And the pastor asks you men, 
What is stronger than a lion and sweeter than honey? What are you supposed to say? It's my love for you, dear, or her love for me. The Philistines are making fun of Samson. They're saying, Samson, what's stronger than what's stronger than a liar's lion, sweeter than honey? Well, it's clearly not the love your wife has for you. Ouch. See what what's supposed to be a heart melting, beautiful relationship for Samson is turning into bittersweet. It's infuriating. He's angry. His wife has betrayed him. She has chosen the Philistines over him. She doesn't trust that Samson loves her or that he will protect her. This is starting to sound an awful lot like God's story with his people. The men of the city mock Samson, saying, she doesn't really love you. She's with us, not you. See the pattern? It's laughing at the Lord. If this is your bride, Israel, why doesn't she care about you? What's stronger than a lion, sweeter than honey? Clearly not Israel's love for their God. Now, starting to feel Samson's pain. I mean, that's the whole point of Samson being raised up as a judge. He's, he's got to experience the, the, the pain that, that the God he serves feels. Samson responds, If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. I mean, he knew. It's, it's a... It's an ugly metaphor to plow with my heifer, to take something that's not yours. It's probably more graphic than that. It's, it's abuse. It's cruel. He's saying, if you, didn't, if you didn't harm her, you wouldn't be on my side. And that's when Samson goes, and he goes off as the war, angry warrior down to Ashkelon and takes the garments, and he starts to rescue Israel from the Philistines. The Spirit of the Lord is sending him into battle. And the reason he has to go down to Ashkelon is because he's eaten a meal with these people he's made a bet with. He can't lash out and angry. He can't fight back. That's against the rules of combat. So the Spirit sends him to start, start something with Ashkelon with the other Philistines. So, there's a lot there. It's a, it's a, it's a painful story. It's even worse when you get to the end. You can feel it when you just end with, and his wife was given to Samson's best man. That is awful. So let me, let me pause here for a couple applications. Um, just think about broken relationships in general. In our modern day and age, we, are, you know, we have this thing called the Me Too movement of where we're just recognizing that this kind of dynamic where threatening and, and, and abuse and cruel words are not how things ought to be. The book of Judges is actually a, there's some helpful counseling stuff here. God will not stand for his people to be harmed. He keeps sending rescuers to save them from the Philistines, from the Moabites, from the Amorites, the Ammonites. Whenever somebody rises up and uses power to serve themselves at the expense of someone else, God comes with judgment. God comes with judgment. And that's the whole narrative. God, again and again, going after the tyrants who are manipulative, who are cruel, who threaten. In contrast to the Lord who marries his people and serves them, who protects, who gives good gifts, 
Right, a gospel-centered marriage we see in the New Testament is a Jesus-centered marriage where the husband in the spirit dies to himself, loves his wife like Christ loved the church, was to, which is to die for her, to serve her, to not get his own way. And the wife in the spirit, in the Lord, the same thing, uh, is to die to her desires, submitting to him and serving him. It's this beautiful picture of of where the relationships where two people are in a, in, a, in a marriage, saying, I'm here for you, not here for me. Of course, sin ruins that, and, and that's part of the, the difficulty of marriage. But it is a helpful thing to see that in the Old Testament, you see right there God not standing for, for his people being abused. We shouldn't stand for it either. And that's where we're going to end as we move and get to the application is, is the last note with Samson being given to his, his wife, being given to his best man. She is now in bondage in a marriage she didn't sign up for. And so Samson is furious. He is angry and he's going to go to war, which is exactly what God does for his people. Because I'm sure you're wondering as we go through all this, if, you, if you've never read the Samson story and you didn't have an opinion on him one way or another and, and the pastor's trying to convince you that he's good and you didn't care one way or the other, I mean, really, that's the question for us. What does Samson teach us here in this story? You know, what is this blood pressure raising, this infuriating evil incident, the pain that Samson goes through? What is he here to teach you as a Christian living in the 21st century? And that's my last point, is what is stronger than a lion and sweeter than honey? What it should be is, is the love and protection of our God. See, Samson, in the beginning, he's stirred by idolatry. He's stirred by people who don't love the Lord. And he's under Philistine rule. But now at the end, he's heartbroken. He is enraged, rightly so. Even the pagans know they had laws that, that you don't give the bride to the best man. <laughs> right? Everybody agrees. doesn't matter who you are. That is, that is wrong. Right? I mean, just don't really do this, but try it next time you're at a wedding and make that suggestion and see, <laughs> see Bridezilla come forth, right? You know, what, what should be a celebration of marriage and love and joy and fellowship for God in the promised land flowing with milk and honey, it never got there with God and his people. And for Samson, it's the same thing. What should be a joyful union leaves his bride in bondage to someone else. Now, here's, here's the first point that I want you to see, because this is the point of Judges. How does Samson respond to the betrayal? He gets angry, yes. But he comes back. He pursues her. He comes back for her. He, he's at the point where he wants no other bride. We didn't read chapter 15, but when, when Samson goes to, to consummate the marriage, to, to begin the relationship... And that's when he finds out his wife has been given to the best man. The father, embarrassed, says, well, why don't you take her younger sister? She's more attractive anyway. Right? Samson doesn't want the attractive one. He wants his wife, whom he loves. He's not driven by his, his, his lust. He's driven by an irrational love, because that's what love is. It's jealous for his bride. 
He pursues her. And that's, that's the pattern you're supposed to get. This is how God chases you. When he, we have injured him, when we have broken his heart, because that's what sin is. Sin is adultery. Sin is turning our backs on the God who loves us with a married love. And we turn and love other things more than him. That's the pain you're supposed to feel in this story. And yet, just like Samson, God comes back after his people, after you, after me. It's the pattern of grace that heals broken relationships. Yahweh pursuing his wandering bride. Except the sad part in Judges is that Israel is so blind, they cannot see this otherworldly love. They don't respond to it. God comes after Israel, whom he loves, and she's now enslaved to another husband. So let me ask you this question. Who else do you know that begins his ministry with a wedding feast and then goes to war to rescue his bride who is enslaved to sin to another? It's Jesus. It's always been one of those odd things. Why would Jesus start his ministry, his public ministry, start rescuing people at a wedding? Right? His first sign is not to, to raise the dead, it's to change 180 gallons of water into wine. That is an obscene amount of wine. Right? We're doing communion wrong. <laughs> no, Jesus is at a wedding in Cana, and two young people are at this joyful moment where Samson is, was at, and they're about to run out of, out of wine, and for the rest of their lives, they're going to remember the shame of not being able to provide and enjoy that day of coming together to serve the community. And Mary's mother comes to Jesus and says to him, you can fix this. And he says, woman, what is that to me? My, my hour has not yet come. And yet Jesus, you know, he, he's just frustrated and agitated in the moment, but he turns around and he does. He turns 180 gallons of water into wine, and it's the good wine. It's not even weak wine. I mean, the master of the feast says, usually you bring out the watered-down stuff later. This is the really good, well-aged wine that, that has a kick to it. It's a gift of joy to cover the shame of the couple. Right? A sign of God's blessing, a sign of joy, a festival joy. This is what God coming to rescue his people is supposed to be like. But why was Jesus grumpy in the beginning? Because he knows the bride whom he has to die for, you and I. It's always odd. When, what is Jesus thinking about at his wedding? Why would he talk about his hour? Because right? he's sitting there at a wedding, it's a time of great joy, and his mom comes to him and says, fix this, and he's, he's gruff with her. Woman, why, what is that to me? It's not my time yet. See, hour in the Gospel of John is the time of Jesus' death. So at, at a time of great joy, Jesus is experiencing great sorrow. Because he knows that for his wedding to happen, for him to marry us permanently, to have this festival joy, for wine to flow down from the hills, for, for our sin and shame to be removed, for his bride to be beautiful and radiant and to love him back the way he loves them, he has to die on a cross for us. That's what he's thinking about. And that's also why he starts his ministry with a sign of joy, saying, heaven is here, rejoice I'm here to save you from yourself, to save you from the tyranny of sin 
You were married to what you want. Now, because what Christ has done, you will be married to him. The unfaithful bride who is declared radiant, beautiful. And that's the picture we get in, that's, that Samson is pointing us to. Because immediately after starting his ministry at a wedding, Jesus then goes to war spiritually to win a, win a people, to win his bride through loving through serving, even to death on a cross, and through the resurrection, to give us an inheritance, a linen garment that is pure, without fault, blameless. And so here's how I want to end. All right. Samson is a picture of how God loves his people. Jesus is the better picture because he gives us the spirit that Samson has to enable us to respond in love. And that, that's the good news of the gospel, that it's amazing that any husband or wife would take back someone who hurts them at all, much less with infidelity. Marriage is hard work. And what we need to melt our hearts to motivate us to follow Jesus is this marriage metaphor. It is here to empower and sweeten your relationship with Jesus, that where you and I have to learn that God, in the midst of all of our dangers, is stronger than a lion and sweeter than honey. Look at the cross. This is how you do spiritual warfare. Why are you so afraid? Why won't you trust God when when he's telling you to do things and you're terrified? Because we don't believe he's strong enough. Or that if he is strong enough, we don't believe he loves it enough us enough to save us from the difficulties. And the gospel is showing us the opposite. He loved us so much that he was willing to let the, the animal-like cruelty of, han- of, of humanity tear Jesus apart. Now, when I get anxious and afraid, you know what I'm forgetting? That, that my God is strong enough, that Jesus is king, he is on his throne, and he will rescue me, that he'll protect me. Or why is obedience? Why is loving, responding to Jesus so hard. Because deep down, I don't think about the marriage metaphor and, and loving him like being sweet like honey. Right? Honey is about joy, delight, and pleasure. It's sweet. It's experiential. And frankly, what I want at the time is sweeter. <laughs> and so what we're called to do in, in our, to put sin to death is to stand and preach to ourselves, I am part of Christ's bride, the church. He loves me with a love that is sweet. And if I can't taste it right now, Jesus, help me taste it. And one of the ways I help me taste it is by reflecting on the reality of who I am. I don't deserve someone who would love me when I've cheated on him like that. All right? And you can add another image. You know why temptation is so hard? I mean, look at the temptation the test that Samson's wife went through. She has the choice, trust Samson's protection and trust his love in the face of threats of of dying. And she chooses to protect herself. You know what my lusts and my sinful desires tell me? That if I don't give in to what I want right now, it's going to feel like my house is on fire and everything's going to fall apart and I cannot live. We need the picture of Jesus, the better Samson, who gives us 
an experience with his grace that empowers our obedience. I don't know how else to say it. We need to taste the sweetness of God's love for us in Christ, a love for an unfaithful bride that makes us faithful. We have something sweeter, the Holy Spirit. That's his job, to make your weak faith strong and give you an experience of the sweetness of God's grace. To take, we have to learn to take the gospel and connect it to God's protection, to my fears, and his faithful love to my unfaithfulness. And that starts to change us. It, it didn't happen in Judges. We have something better, the death and resurrection of Jesus. I mean, Jesus honors you so much more than any infidelity. There is no idol that will love you the way Jesus loves you. Jesus honors an unfaithful bride and makes her pure and radiant. He is faithful even when I am unfaithful. Let that melt your heart. See, we started with that question, what is sweeter than honey, what is stronger than a lion? It's, it's the covenant of grace. It's the good news of the gospel. It's what Jesus does for, for the church. He's teaching you and I to pursue him the way, the, way a, the way a bride looks at her husband on the wedding day. And that's what's going to happen at the end because one day this will no longer be a battle. Revelation 19 it says, uh, let us rejoice and celebrate and give God the glory for the marriage of the Lamb. Jesus has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself. See, Jesus won the battle to give us clothes. And clothes herself with fine linen, bright and pure. And the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. Happy, joyful are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. See, everybody who's at that great feast, <laughs> right, what we're going to be adorned with are the things that we responded to Jesus. <laughs> All the righteous things you did because he first loved you. And you're going to look back and you're going to look at Jesus and he's going to look at you and sing and rejoice and celebrate. And you're going to look at your clothes and say, everything I am showing off right now, it was all a gift. <laughs> what did I do to deserve this? I mean, if I loved you, Jesus, it's because you loved me first, and I cannot wait for that moment. In Zephaniah 3.17, when God the King looks at you and he says, don't be afraid, the Lord your God is in your midst, he is mighty to save, he will rescue you, and he will, he will rejoice over the church with loud singing because he loves us. He's going to be happy to see you even in light of all the unfaithfulness and the ways we broke his heart in the past, because that will be like a bad dream. So go and learn what it means. Blessed, happy are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. You get there through faith in Jesus, who loved you first. Let's pray. Our Father and our God, we thank you and praise you for the, just the examples of faith in the Old Testament, these stories, uh, the, the tradition of Samson suffering to show us what it's like for you to suffer to love us. May the gospel melt our hearts, uh, lead us to trust you with our fears, and to be melted with the sweetness of your love, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.